This message comes to you from Withenshaw Community Church, Manchester. We hope that you are inspired and challenged by God's Word. Uh, Pastor Rao, such a generous introduction. I love the local church. It's the hope of the world, isn't it? Yeah, it's God's only institution that he made on this earth. And it's just wonderful to be engaged with, with something that God wanted to do. And I believe the local church um, is, is, is the most powerful expression of Jesus in our communities. And uh, it's really great to be here. I'm from Warrington. Does anybody know Warrington? Yeah? Some of you are thinking, yeah, I just want to go to Ikea and buy the furniture. Um, others think it's that lost place between Manchester and Liverpool. Um, and it needs your prayers, yeah. Um, actually, my mum is from Withenshaw, um, so I'm feeling rather at home this morning. That's good, isn't it? Yeah, come on. And then she moved to the, uh, to the other side, and, 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 and the rest is history. I am joined by my great friend and colleague, Ronnie, this morning, and uh, praise God for bringing him safely from London. Um, so it's good to have him here today, um, and he's going to be sharing some of his story as well. Um, but I want to talk to you um, about... What Pastor Raz has just introduced to us about um, this concept of partnering with compassion um, with Unsure Community Church and what that looks like. What exactly does it mean? How do we get involved in that on a personal level uh, and so forth? So I'm going to be just sharing that with you this morning um, and then you can choose whether you want to engage with that as well. Um, but God loves the least, the last and the lost doesn't he? he? He goes to the ends of the earth. How many times in scripture do we read about God going after the one? Um, in, in Luke's gospel, you know, he leaves the 99 to go after the one and, and the lost coin and the, the, the lost son. We could go on and we could preach on that all this morning. Um, Pastor Raz said, I've got two hours to see, speak to you this morning. So, no, I'm joking. <laughs> Amen, someone said. I don't believe you. <laughs> okay, this is who, put your hand up if you've heard of compassion before. Yeah, a couple of you, some of you, about 50%. Great. Okay, let me give you a real quick overview. Compassion are a, a global organization who rescue and release children from extreme poverty in Jesus' name. That's amazing, isn't it? And, you know, quite often as we were talking about, we've all got prayers, haven't we? Who's got, a, who's got prayers special for this year that they're waiting on God to answer? Anybody? Yeah, me? Because a lot of people, and we do that, don't we? We all have um, a want for God to turn up in our lives this year um, to do something. But I, I've been asking myself this because if you're anything like me, you'll make a New Year's resolution and you'll, you'll break it at some point. Anybody done that or is it just me? Yeah, okay, great. Okay, I'm glad I'm, am- I'm amongst other people who, who don't get it right all the time. Can I just read this out to you from Isaiah? Is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke. To set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. You know, I thought about this idea of, you know, I've got prayers and desires for this year. But God, what would it look like if I was the answer to somebody else's prayer first? 
What would it look like if God said, I just said, God, I've got these things, but I laid them down before you in your time. God, would you use me to help somebody else first before me? What would that look like in our lives? And how quickly would God answer us back if we were to think like that? Are you with me, church? You're listening. Is this what we want to do to seek God's kind of, 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 of justice? It's amazing. But I'm going to share to you what compassion do beyond their poverty, beyond the poverty that we see. You see, I said to you before that we're an organization that rescued children from poverty in Jesus' name. But we've got over 2 million children who are currently being loved, cared for, and, and given a hope and a future. Isn't that amazing? And, and we work. We work with over 7,000 churches. 7,000 local churches in 25 different countries where the poverty is at its worst. And my role is to come and engage with you, uh, maybe on a Sunday and, and talk to you as I am now, or, or maybe to take churches out to meet their sponsored children for the first time and, and to go out to the field and see them. So I've been to a number of nations. Um, anybody from Ghana in the house today? Anybody from Ghana? Got some Ghanaians? Yes. So I've been to Accra and I'm off to Kumasi soon. Um, I've been to Ethiopia and Uganda and Rwanda. And, you know, it's a privilege to serve children. And a privilege to reach out and give them a hope and a future. Um, but some of you might have a conception of what poverty is. Because we see it on the TV, don't we? And I, I tell you what, we can see the most horrendous images sometimes, can't we? You know, Children in Need was on recently. And, and we can see these pictures um, that draw us into a place of pity. And I've got to do something about it. And some part of our soul or mind or, or, or anything that just goes off inside of us can feel pressured under compulsion to do something maybe or to think gosh that's so bad how can I do anything about that how can I change anything in that situation and we can have all sorts of ideas but I've got a couple of questions to ask you is that okay yeah so I need you to be interactive with me everybody that's the children yeah okay so we got some children in the room yeah some young people great got some questions for you too can you just give me a show of your hands if you had your breakfast before you came to church this morning. Yeah, Ronnie's straight up. I inter actually interrupted his in the middle of his bacon and eggs. I'm like, Ronnie, we've got to go. Come on. Okay. So is any... Kids, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Come on, tell me what you had for breakfast. Egg on toast. Good choice, my friend. Cut just the coffee. Get that down. There you go. Okay. Is anybody having like a Sunday roast in Withenshaw today? Anybody cooking a Sunday? Where, where was that voice? Ronnie, that, that's where we're going for dinner. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Some of you will be going past McDonald's or the co-op just for a quick drive-by. Bit of lunch, I don't know. Um, can I share an obvious thing with you about why I'm talking about food? It's, well, I, whilst we... Do, whilst we have the opportunity to, to, to eat breakfast and eat lunch, you know, today one in seven children in the world will go hungry. One in seven. And I, I've got some tough things to share with you, but some encouragement as well. Can I ask you a really personal question now, and you might chase me out the church for this one. Who had a wash or a shower before coming to church this morning? Thank you very much. I knew there was a nice fragrance in this place when I came in this morning. <laughs> very nice. Very good. The gentleman at the front here had coffee. Um, but, you know, I, when I think about water and being able to clean myself and have a drink, um, I have to remind myself that when I turn the tap on, and I work for Compassion, I have to remind myself when I turn the tap on, I've got access to safe and clean water. 
Uh, and, and I'm not going to get ill from it. You see, there are children, unfortunately, who, who are dying of preventable causes, things like diarrhea. So I know that's an embarrassing thing to talk about, but stuff that we can get medication over, over the counter with, and you know that sadly, if children are dying of these things, I've got to tell you. My role is to speak up for the rights of those who cannot speak for themselves. To defend the cause of the fatherless, you know. Speak up for justice. And that's our role, isn't it, church? That's our role. Kids, be a bit more vocal this time, okay? Who enjoys going to school? No! Who is that? Oh! Okay, have we got any, anybody who's like really scientific or maths-minded or... Or, or clever in that way. Anybody? Yeah, we got some over here. Yeah. You're being shy there, man. But when I came into church this morning, I thought that's the most intelligent person in Withenshaw Community Church. <laughs> Is anybody like creative or sports or drama and music? In the middle? Oh, I tell you what, Pastor, we've got a church full of creatives. The sky's the limit. Well, you know, again, just one more thing. Children in these countries... Children in these countries don't get to go to school because they can't afford to. They have to pay for it. And therefore, if they're living in poverty without food, if they're living without safe and clean water, if they're living without an education, what that means is they're confined in this small space that they live in, in this world that they can't get out of. And, and they can't have a hope for a future because they haven't got a dream to live for. When we know God has placed gold, destiny, purpose, dreams and visions inside every single one of us. You know, these lives are precious, aren't they? Every life is precious. We know the Bible tells us that every hair in our head is numbered, that he knitted us together in the womb. And, and these kids are as precious as that, yet they just need a help. And that's our role at Compassion. Not just to give them a handout, but to give them a hand up into a hope and a future. One where they know the love of God, and that's through the local church. And can I just tell you this final statistic as I move on? Last year alone, over 158,000 children responded to the message of the gospel because of people sponsoring children. That's amazing. And you know, the really great thing is it's not just those 158,000 kids or so. They then go home to their families and the gospel reaches them. They then go to their neighbors and the gospel reaches them. They then go to their community and Jesus is spoken over them. And eventually we change a nation. We change a nation. And church is multiplying all over the world. Let me tell you, I've been to churches you cannot fit a sardine in. And, and they are so praiseful and, and, and joyful, just like the worship team here this morning, just like the worship here. The praise is off the scale. Amen. So, Compassion, this morning you have the opportunity to engage with this as a local church. Um, so I'm going to be up front before I go any further that you will have the opportunity to sponsor a child if you want today. Um, and we're going to talk about what that looks like. And some of you probably already sponsored, which is great. Um, but there's one local church in Ethiopia, in Wakiro, and um, there's around 45,000 people who live in that neighborhood. But we've got the opportunity today to sponsor a child, not just individually, but together, corporately, so that Withinshaw changes Wakiru, somewhere else in the world that there's this overflow of faith from Withinshaw to Wakiro, which is amazing. Fantastic. I'm going to play a video now. It's called The Least of These, and then I'm going to invite my friend Ronnie up. So if you can just play that video, that would be fantastic. Thank you.
in the Philippines, it's so smelly, very dark water. You can see trash, rats, all of the crimes. The friends that I played with in the neighborhood got captured and was being trained to become child soldiers. In a given week, we'll go at least for three days without food. We would beg our parents just to buy one apple, but even the rotten ones we could not afford to buy. I just want to taste it. I just want to eat that fruit. In a period of 18 months, I lost my small brother Patrick, my mom, and I lost my stepdad because of the terrifying disease of HIV AIDS. When my mother died, I was lost. I was looking for hope, for God to just show me that everything was going to be okay. Not knowing what tomorrow will look like, not knowing whether I would have a home, whether we would live to see the next day. I don't know why Aaron Mitchell decided to sponsor me, but when he did, my whole life changed. A group of people from Compassion showed up at my church. They said, you're gonna go to school, and then somebody's going to write to you. I don't have to worry about whether my parents would have enough money to keep me going to school. Even if I get sick, someone was there to take care of me. I felt safe. I felt wanted. My sponsor is Edwin Bunny. Maria and Hanshru. Aaron Mitchell. Five women from a Lutheran church that were sponsoring me. I am now a physical therapist and I'm working in a hospital. Clinical social worker. I was the first child in my family to go to high school, to go to college. I have a bachelor and a master in, in biomedical engineering, a second master in engineering management, and uh, I called me into ministry, so I had to go and get a third master. I have a ministry called Youth Arise Africa that works with boys who don't have father figures. We opened a small school. It's now providing the same opportunity that Compassion provided to me so that they too can break out of the cycle of poverty. Whatever you do for the least of these, you do for me. You do for me. You did for me. You did it for me. I sponsor a child today to break the cycle of poverty in a child's life like my sponsor did for me. Fantastic, wonderful. Ronnie, come and join me. Come and join me. Is there a microphone Ronnie can use, Pastor? Choose, choose, choose. You go in this side, I'm going to take the left. Is that how this is going to work? Yeah? Okay. Welcome, Ronnie. Um, Ronnie, this is my good friend, Ronnie. We've not seen each other properly in two years, so it's great to have him with me today. Yeah? And if we, can, if we can pray for him as he tries to get home to London today, because the weather is not good, um, that would be great. But Ronnie, why don't you start by telling everybody um, who you are? I'm Ronnie. Thank you very much. Good morning. I'm very happy to be here, actually. Um, the one thing that really excites me, I've been sharing my story with Compassion for about eight years now. And about 95% of those times when I have to share my story, the children are sent out, they are in their group. So I'm really excited that the children are here to hear my story. Great. So yeah, yeah, in a nutshell, that's me. I love working with children. I, I work in a primary school uh, down in London. I've been doing that for about five years now. Um, and uh, uh, 
Why did you ask? He, <laughs> Let me tell you, he lives where only foodles and horses oh, yeah, yeah, was I made. Know, I know, yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, well, I arrived here about 10 years ago um, uh, to work with a local church, All Saints Peckham, working with children and young people in Peckham. And I told God I'm going to go for one year and I'll come back to Uganda. And uh, yeah, it Great. was hard to leave Peckham. Still hard. <laughs> still there. Ronnie, um, thank you for being with us. And um, what uh, Ronnie's got a story to share through being a formerly sponsored child through Compassion. Um, and he grew up living in, in Uganda. Um, and I'm going to let him share that aspect of his story. So, Ronnie, why don't you tell everybody what it was like for you growing up in Uganda? I think most of what I would have loved to say you may have seen on the video because poverty presents itself in very predictable ways. And the cycle, of, that's why they mention about the cycle of poverty, is very predictable. So for my case, I had grandparents who did not go to school, so they didn't have like jobs or they didn't educate their children. Uh, my parents, same thing, you know, my, uh, my parents had equivalent maybe year six education and that's the most that they did. But they were born in extreme poverty. They stayed in there. And predictably, I was born in extreme poverty as well. Um, and some of, when I think about it, some of it is really extremely sad to think that I was in that situation. But to think I was actually quite very lucky. What were your mom and dad's names, Ronnie? Oh, that's where I'm coming to. <laughs> I was very lucky because I am a number one of altogether 13 children. But I'm top of the queue. I'm born a boy uh, to my dad called Joseph and my mother called Mary. <laughs> exactly. So I, I was very lucky to be born in that situation. But what they did, and because I was a boy, what they did was, we're going to put all our hopes in this one boy. And maybe if he comes out, the way the fabric of our co community was, that if one of us succeeds, that's success for everybody else. And so they put all their hope in me. Everything was invested to be able to send me to school. So save a thought for my sister Rita, who's a girl and the last born child. You know, absolutely zero chance. But anyway, they did. But because they didn't have like resources or jobs to be able to pay school fees for me properly to send me to school, oftentimes I would be sent back home for lack of school fees. And I didn't know when I would be able to go back. And, you know, it's not that I'm going back home. You know, I had somebody who said, who loves school? And I love that. not me, you know, just because maybe home is really nice. But for me, going back home, that's going back to a very unhappy home. So I, I much have preferred to be at school. And I put all my identity in school because I was quite a clever boy. Um, my identity was based around school. Um, but because of all the time my parents didn't have the resources, oftentimes when I'm sent back home, you know, I'm just looking downwards. I'm not looking up. I stopped dreaming. I stopped hoping for things. And it's not just, it's, it's not that it's just me, you know, in that community. Everywhere around me, my neighbors, everybody was like. So it's, it's sort of like you had nobody to look to. Um, I wasn't expected to finish primary school. It would have been a miracle to complete primary school with the resources my parents had. And in a way, what poverty did with that was to sort of put a knife on, on things that held us together as, you know, as a family. You know, dreams yeah. fell apart, hopes fell apart. 
And yeah, that's what poverty did. Ronnie, tell us real quick, because I remember that a part of your story when you went to school and got sent home, but this one time you went to school and didn't get sent home. Well, I thought I was going to be sent home because we knew the drill. It's sort of like a fire drill. You know what they're going to say. And so when they came out and read out the names, they're like, yeah, we're going to go home for lack of school fees. But instead of saying that, they said go to the head teacher's office. Now, Chambogo Primary School in Kampala, if you're sent to the head teacher's office, there is no good news. You know what to expect. <laughs> I had been there several times. And so the rest of us walking, bare feet, walking to that office, we were filled with anxiety, we were filled with fear, we were filled with the darkness, which maybe some of you may understand when you're going through a situation, you kind of predict what the outcome is. It's all dark, you can't see anything. And that's what we did. We walked, waiting our fate. But when we got there, we got good news. Because I got this picture of mine taken. And I'm, I'm, you know, I did deliberately not put it on the screen. It's not the most photogenic of photos of mine. But it's, it's beautiful. very, very important. Because from there it says UG402153. It meant I was going to be sponsored. It meant that I wouldn't be sent home for lack of school fees. There's so many promises that was there. It meant that I would have medical care, no more getting ill and you know, hoping for the best. It meant that if we did not have food at home, the people at the Compassion Project would. It meant so many things. But one of my favorite things that happened, you know, I was nine years old, is that we were given a plain piece of paper and all we had to do was like put our dusty feet on it and trace out the foot so that they can work out the shoe size because they were we were going to get brand new shoes. How amazing is that? Brilliant. Um, Ronnie, why don't you tell us real quick and um, what difference did your sponsors make in your life? Try and do it putting your shoe on at the same time as well. <laughs> um, a lot of things stayed the same. I, I would like to say a lot of things stayed the same. I still lived with the same family. I still went to the same school. I still in the same community. Everything, a lot of those things stayed the same. But what happened by this amazing lady called Jan, who decided she was going to, my, to be my sponsor, is that hope came and started living in that two-roomed house of ours. Things started looking very, very different. I started looking upwards more than downwards. You know, um, my parents were excited. My father started walking around with a new spring in his step. Not because he's got a job or anything, but he had hope that one of his children is going to break through. Maybe he's going to break through that barrier. You know, from having not had a chance to complete primary school, no hope of it, I went to one of the best secondary schools in Uganda. You know. That's brilliant. And when, when, when Jan wrote to me, and I, I need to tell you this, if you're sponsoring or you're hoping to sponsor late, later, she wrote to me, and she wrote these things that I didn't believe she was writing to me. To her, they were probably simple things. I love you. God has a hope, a future for you. God has plans for you. Uh, if you ask, you will receive. Uh, this is what I do. I started getting a, a glimpse of what she does in her life, and I started to picture myself. I started picturing this good Samaritan who is not now in that manual of yours, in our, our manual. This is a good Samaritan in flesh. You know, she sent me a photo. I adored those photos of her. I remember when she asked me what I wanted to become when I finished school. She wrote to me, 
said, what do you want to finish when? As, as I think I was about 12 at that point. I didn't know what I wanted to become when I finished school. I was just happy that I was at school. We were living on the outskirts of a university. And I said I wanted to be a civil engineer. And not because I knew what it meant to be a civil engineer, but because we were living near the Department of Civil Engineering. I used to see these guys who wore jeans and trainers. They carried equipment. In a nutshell, they looked cool. I wanted to be cool like those guys. <laughs> so that's why I said I wanted to be a civil engineer. And I think what she did, I don't know. I'm just, you know, I'm just assuming. She must have gone and prayed to God, uh, praying for her sponsored child that this is, that you know, that this boy's dreams may come true. Because 12 years later, actually in that same university, I graduated with a bachelor's degree in civil engineering. And that's a big thing that my sponsor, you know, that one of the big differences that I, my sponsor made. That's amazing. Oh, it's just so good, isn't it? Ronnie, why don't you just quickly tell everybody what life looks like for you now? Likes, oh, I, I'm telling you, I, I, off the back of yesterday. So I'll tell you about yesterday so that you guys. Yesterday, my, you know, my wife, Rachel, uh, is expecting a child on next month, 16. Uh, that's going to be our second. Um, so yesterday, we were at this uh, uh, baby shower and finding out the, the sex of the baby. Um, and it was very exciting, but what came into my mind was like, my goodness, these two children don't know what their father had, you know, like the circumstances. And I was just reflecting, because there were all these people happy for us, we've got no worries about whether the baby will be healthy or not, we know they're going to be okay. And I was thinking, these children are born outside the cycle of poverty. It's true, the cycle of poverty can be broken. Amen. You know, so what I do now is 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 rejoice in the fact that so good. you know I've that I've seen the cycle of poverty broken in my lifetime. You know, it's I'm not, we're not talking a hundred years in my lifetime. I also do sponsor two children. Hopefully, I'll get their cycle broken. Uh, Simon and Kadigatu. Simon twelve. Um, Kadigatu is eleven. Um, I work um, at. Um, at uh, what, what I think I do an amazing well, in my opinion, it's a dream come true to be working in this school in London um, for somebody who had no chance to complete primary school, for me to be working in a top, what I think is a top school. And my job is to work with children who are just um, a small gap away from achieving their best. They're not really behind, but they just need an extra push. Uh, to be the best that they can do, and that's what I do now. Praise God. Sundays like this, I come out and hang out with <laughs> lovely people like you. <laughs> what a charmer. Why don't you give Ronnie a round of applause so he just takes his seat. Thank you so much, Ronnie. Well done. Oh, so good. I've missed you. <laughs> um, I want to just close, close off now. We've just spent five or so minutes just closing off, but... Um, we all, do we all know the um, parable of the Good Samaritan? Yeah, well, Ronnie mentioned it a moment ago. And I'm reminded of this scripture, particularly when it comes to what Ronnie's just mentioned and, and how we deal with that. You know, we, we find out that, that, that a man challenges Jesus. He wants to test him, you know, and, and, and we find that throughout scripture. But the other thing I find about scripture is, before I go into that, is Jesus always stops for the one. He always stops for one. Yes, we come across crowds and situations, but... Jesus always stops for the one, the woman at the well, and 
you know, this Good Samaritan parable where, where he tells a story of, of a man. He's, he's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho and he's, he's attacked by bandits. I don't know about you. Has anybody ever felt a bit beaten up by life? And, you know, he comes, he comes across this person and he's, he's beaten and injured up and he's left there half dead beside the road and he just needs somebody to help him. He's, he needs a hand up. He needs, he needs a hand up to help him on his way. And we see this, um, this story unfold. If you're anything like me, I wasn't born into a Christian family. I'll probably share that this evening when I'm here. Um, but I wasn't born into a Christian family and therefore had no faith in God. And um, there was this, this woman who came alongside me and prayed for me and believed me and helped me. Um, but in this story, if you're anything like me reading it from a non-Christian perspective, you would see that a priest comes along and you would wonder and expect the priest to help out, wouldn't you? Because he's the holy man of the temple. He's the, he's the guy in charge. He's the one that's supposed to be filled with love and compassion and, and hope. But he doesn't. We know the story says that the priest carries on on his way. He passes by the situation. He sees the need, but passes by. And we can put our feet in, in the shoes of this character, can't we? And think, well, uh, I don't, he's a pastor. He's the, he's the temple leader. He's, he's got so many people to look after. And, and his life's busy. And he's got to go and attend, the, to, attend to the flock and, and all his duties and can't you ever feel too busy to stop and do something? Me too. Me too sometimes. I see something and we can sometimes let it slip by. But I wonder whether God presents us with, um, with, with ordained moments almost to help somebody else. And, you know, then this temple assistant comes along. Again, you can think, okay, the priest was too busy. But this is another holy guy. He will help and stop and so forth. But we see this story unfold again. And this temple assistant, it actually says he sees the man. And he actually... I can just visualize him. I don't know about you. I can visualize him leaning into the situation. He sees the injured man. And I wonder if he's thinking, because we can often do this, can't we? Me too. We can often do this. What will happen to me if I get involved? What will be the cost to me if I do something here? How much time and effort is this going to take for me to do something? How much money is it going to cost me? But this man, this, this temple assistant, probably ceremonially prepared for the day and he's, he's, he's prepared for ritual and sacrifice and he leaves the situation and passes by. But it's then the good Samaritan that comes along. We know the Samaritan. Now, you know these guys hated each other, right? The cultural conflict that they shouldn't be helping each other. This was a big no-no. But the, the, this, this most unlikely person, the Samaritan, comes along, helps him. He bandages his wounds with oil and wine and... And, and make sure the man is, 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 is cared for in that place. Now, I've got a question for you. And this is for me as well. In that moment, could you think, or have you ever done this? I'm just being honest, I've done it. I've done my bit. Somebody else will take the rest now. No, no that's great. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And this man is put on the back of a donkey, taken to an inn. And he spent time, let's not forget the Samaritan was on his way somewhere. He had a business. And... He takes the man to the inn and he pays him the two silver coins and, and says to him, take care of this man. If anything else happens to him, I'll return and I'll pay the rest of the bill. Jesus then asks the question, which of these three? And the, and the, 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 uh, the, the, man, asks, the man replies, the, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus says, now go and do the same. You know, that's, the word compassion is taken from another word called, it, it said, I think I'm saying this right, splegmitsame. And it means to be moved in the bowels for anybody that's just had the breakfast. And, it, you know, the, it, it, it means an unstoppable action. Compassion compels us to walk forward and to do something about it. You see, when we feel sorry for a situation, we, we call it pity. 
don't we? We move by pity and we see things and we don't know what to do about it. But you see, pity doesn't mobilize an action. But yet, I find that having Jesus' compassion puts legs on that pity to change another life and another situation. And today, we've got the opportunity to do that, guys. And Pastor Raz shared before not to give under pressure or, or compulsion. I really want you to, to hold that in mind as I'm, I'm about to... Just create a moment and a space for you to respond if you want to this morning, no other way. All the children we've got here um, from, are from Ethiopia and they're from that One Church project. Ronnie, I wondered if you'd mind standing up and just holding them up. And church family here in Withenshaw, would, would you just hold your hands up and pray? Pray for these precious lives all over the world who are just in need right now. Pray from your own heart, your own soul. You know their life. You, you, you suspect what their lives look like. Let's just pray for them that God will just release them from poverty at some point in Jesus' name. Lord God, I thank you for every precious life, every boy and girl, every family, every brother and sister, grand, grandma and uncle and aunt connected, every community, every local church. Um, Lord, specifically in Ethiopia, in Wakuru today, Lord, we ask, um, Lord, that you would intervene in these young lives, Lord, and that you would stir us afresh to show maybe us, maybe other people, how to get involved. Lord God, I thank you that these kids have got a plan, a hope and a future and a destiny and purpose. And Lord, that you just you just want to bless them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks, Ronnie. It costs £28 a month to sponsor a child. Um, and that's their education, their, um, their health care, their, their everything that, that they need to live a good life um, and, and, and a cared life. And the thing is, they're cared by, by Bible-believing, godly people, who invest in their lives. And as a sponsor, as a sponsor myself, I also sponsor a number of children. And my eldest is Miriam. She's 16. She's 16 years old now, and she lives in Kenya. And uh, I'm meeting her for the first time in June, which is going to be awesome. And she always signs off her letters. She always signs off the letters she writes to me, your loving daughter, Miriam. When are you going to come and see me, she says. <laughs> she, calls me, she calls me Papa. And... It's beautiful. I get to stand, stand. That's me personally. I kind of shiver up my spine then. But this is for you today. I'm going to, in a moment, ask you if you'd like to sponsor a child. And don't give under compulsion, but let me tell you what it involves. £28 a month. Um, when I asked myself the question when I sponsored another child, I'm just sharing with you. I thought, what do I spend that amount of money on a month? And I've got to be brutally honest with you. It was things like takeaways. It was going to a rugby match, I'm a bit of a rugby fan every, every month or so, and the ticket money, and, and the change that falls down the sofa, or, or that I spend every day on a can of Coke, or a newspaper, and you know, it, around 80, 90p a day meant that I could sponsor a child, and that's the reality, and I thought, how can we just live a bit more simply, so somebody else can just simply have an, an opportunity to live, you know, and this little girl is called Melat, she's four years old, I'm going to tell you what it says about her inside a form, and she, she just lives with her mother. There's nobody else. Um, and she likes to play ball games. And 45,000 people live in a community. And um, she's, she's constantly involved with day labor and domestic um, services in the home at the moment while she's just waiting to go to school. But you can see, Compassion have been to see her. She's beautifully dressed. She doesn't look like you'd expect, does she? Um, because Compassion have already been to see her and give her clothes. Because we believe... We believe as an organization that dignity is an important thing. And would, we be would, we be would the mother be proud to show this picture? I think she would. 
So in a moment, I'm going to ask you, if you want to sponsor a child today, I'm just going to ask you to give me a show of your hands, and Ronnie here will give you a profile. Um, and this is just between you and God right now. Not, don't give under compulsion or pressure. But if you want to sponsor a child right now, I wonder if you just put your hand up so Ronnie can get a form out to you. Thank you at the back there. And this lady here. Thanks, Raz. Can I give you Melat? Thank you. Just keep your hands high. Thank you. There's, there's a lady over here. Thank you so much. <laughs> Ronnie, you should have brought your trainers. Can I give you this little boy here? Macbell. Thank you so much. I'm going to start. If anybody else wants to sponsor, they can see us at the stands. There's one in here and in the cafe. But I'm going to close off now and thank you so much. Please do not run off home with these forms. That's kidnapping. <laughs> Please fill them out and bring them back to me or Ronnie. I'll be happy to answer your questions. Pastor, can I invite you back up? I'm, I'm finished. Thank you so much.